navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. And welcome to another edition of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam White. A bit of a different episode this week because, uh, well, it's a bit of a themed episode and I'll explain more uh, shortly. Our special guest, and it is very much a special guest, it's a very special guest, Belinda Clark will be our feature chat. We'll do that shortly, but uh, we're actually joined now by the head of female cricket here at Cricket Victoria, Sherelle McMahon. Sherelle, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be with you. Yes. Now, we've got to talk to you about a number of things and I'll get to the main thing shortly, but obviously the Big Bash campaign, the WBBL has finished for the Renegades and the Stars a little bit earlier than we had hoped. But there were some good signs from both teams, particularly, I guess, from the Stars. How did you assess the the tournament? Yeah, I I think you've summed it up pretty quickly there quite well. Um, Obviously disappointing that the teams haven't continued through, particularly for the Renegades, I think, on the back of their performance last season. Um, You know, there's lots of reasons we could talk about um, in terms of personnel and injury and all sorts of things that have happened to to make that a little bit tough. But um, it's certainly given some different players some some opportunities in there and, um, you know, some some really good signs from the Stars. Um, Jonathan Batty coming over from England as their coach coming in there and I think the Stars really do seem to have that core group of players and a lot of them are Victorian players, mm. which is exciting for Victorian cricket. Um, and, you know, we, we saw some r- great glimpses of some of our young players coming through. Annabelle Sutherland is one Obviously, in particular, Tess Flintoff before she was um, injured with that yeah. uh, quickest 50 ever yeah. was amazing to watch. So, um, yeah, look, it's um, obviously we would have loved at least one of the teams to be going through. But, um, yeah, that that will be we'll look at the entire system and, and the way we approach that as we head into next year, which is exciting. I guess you knew how young you were going in. Mm. I mean, even the Victorian team is young. Yeah. Um, is that is that by design or is it just happened that way that there is a real focus on the younger players? Well, I think um, it's kind of the way it's happened. Um, so it's it's certainly the way that the group is shaped, particularly from a Victorian point of view, it is a young squad, particularly mm. when the Australian players kind yeah. of come out of, of that system. So um, it, it's a young group um, and... Uh, I think that there lies some real opportunity in that too and, and and while they are continuing to grow, having that balance of the experience in and around them, that, that's really important too. So um, kind of trying to get that right will be um, mm. will be the challenge going forward. I guess it's leadership development as much as skill-based development. You know, some of the... Some of the girls are pretty young and they're having to take on some pretty big responsibilities. Yeah, they are. And and as we know in cricket, the role of the captain is is massive. Mm. So, you know, that that is part of that learning and development and making sure we've got the right supports in and around um, those players who are taking on those roles. Just on Jonathan Batty, he was almost seen as the big recruit of all um, to come and, and help out from a coaching perspective. He seems anecdotally to have made a big impact in a short time. 
Yeah, he has been, he's obviously had success in the 100 yeah. and, and that, um, you know, those experiences can help in the way you shape a, a team, particularly in a tournament style um, like the WBBL is. And, you know, he's come in without knowing many of the players at all. So mm. uh, there's not a lot of time um, to get your feet under the desk or or in the nets or however you say that in cricket <laughs> terms. Um, but, uh, you know, there was some, some quick work that had to happen there. And, um, yeah, look, I think... Um, that's uh, an indication of uh, his ability to come in and, and quickly have an impact. But also I think, you know, that core group of players, as I said now, has been together for a few years and I think we're starting to see the benefit of that too. Take us uh, into what this week is all about. It's Women and Girls in Cricket Week. I know it's a Cricket Australia initiative. It's all part of the final series for the WBBL. But can you tell us a little bit about about it and also the impact on Victorian cricket? Yeah, so um, this week is is one that we're really excited about. It really is about celebrating uh, women and girls in cricket, um, and so and that is the players, the administrators, um, umpires, whatever role that you're holding in cricket, um, really celebrating that um, and bringing those stories to the front. And um, you know, I've been really pleasantly surprised with the response. Um, we've had a number of things happen in and around this week and probably one of the big ones for me was uh, when we had um, it kind of just sit outside the week uh, <laughs> but with the way the, the fixture structured up we had um, the double header here at Junction yeah. Oval last weekend and um, we had a volunteers lunch where um, almost 150 volunteers from right across, across Victoria came and, and had a lunch with us and really it was a chance for Cricket Victoria to say thank you, um, which was amazing. And um, the other benefit from that was the connections that were made in that week. Uh, oh, sorry, in, in that um, in that function. And, and I'm hearing a lot from a lot of different areas that people and clubs and associations who are getting into more into the women and girls space want to connect with others who are doing it um, to, you know, share information, share stories and, you know, stronger together. So that was a really positive um, lunch and, and event that we held. And there's been a lot of really positive feedback about that. And Lots of other things happening too. I don't know if you want me to keep going into that, Whitey, or well, I just I think it's probably more than anything else is to talk about the health of women's cricket yep. because with the success of the WBBL, they're creating more and more role models, which means the kids are coming through at the other end wanting to be the next whoever. You can name so many different star players that now are sort of front and center in the mind of young girls choosing what sport to play. Mm. Can you keep up with the demand? <laughs> Because there's infrastructure challenges as a result of that, whether it be women's cricket or girls' cricket, um, AFLW having similar sort of challenges. But with success becomes challenges as well. Yeah, good challenges. Um, my daughter is about to turn seven in a couple of days and we've got a giant um, Annabelle Sutherland head sitting in our lounge room <laughs> yeah. at the moment from her being here and, you know, watching her go absolutely bananas in that last over against the Renegades. Um, and so, you know... Athletes being visible is really important and that, that connection piece for the young girls as they're coming through mm. is is crucial and that's why, you know, I love seeing that out. We've, I've just come back from Moi yesterday where, you know, a different community gets exposure to, to women playing sport at the elite level, which is which is incredible. You question around can we keep up? I mean, it's a, it's a really valid one. Mm. Um, we're, we're just um, launching or I've, I've just launched a, a women and girls strategy that sits – 
effectively right across the organisation. I've been working really closely with David White as the GM of Community Cricket, um, Liam Murphy as the GM of Premier Cricket and, and across our cricket performance area to make sure that uh, we're putting everything we can into each of those areas to ensure that um, women and girls have just as much opportunity to, to love and be involved in cricket as anyone else. Um, and that starts from, you know, really focusing on five to 12-year-old girls. We, mm. we really want to get them in and get them playing um, and then creating an environment where they're, they're feeling safe and welcome, they're having fun um, so that they'll continue to be involved in cricket and, um, you know, for those talented ones come through and um, mm. through to our area but for, for the vast majority to really just experience cricket in a fantastic way and love it. Um, so with those bigger numbers, as, as you mentioned, facilities are a challenge, getting access to grounds. Um, so part of that uh, strategy does look at, uh, you know, there'll be an audit around what things look like right across Victoria. We'll be working closely with local government to make sure that clubs and associations have those right connections to... Um, you know, even like change rooms, for example. Mm. So we've got the right change rooms um, and, and that's a kind of a bigger vision thing um, and, you know, that maybe we need to develop some more grounds and space to make sure that the quality of ovals uh, are better across a broader range so that um, we we have better access. And, and I think for um, cricket clubs and associations, for us at Cricket Victoria, one of the challenges is potentially thinking outside the box of what we've done before around... Um, what format we might play, what days of the week we might play, how we can actually create space and time um, for hopefully these big numbers that are coming through because we're pretty ambitious yeah, but about what we want to yeah. do. And, and I find it fascinating because I'm living it in mm. community cricket now and seeing the challenges of having not just grounds available on weekends but time to be in the nets that it's not just the men that are going to be in the nets or it's yep. not just the juniors, it's the girls. Mm. You know, it's not it, – it's – it creates its own headaches, but they're good problems to have because more and more girls are wanting to play cricket. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you're right, there, there are challenges there. And it's, again, um, there's potentially a bit of a, a thinking shift that might mm. need to happen. And, um, you know, we're, we're really um, buoyed by how clubs and associations who have already come into this space are experiencing opening up to, yes. to a, in a different way. Because um, you know, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but it's, sorry, not, it's not a. Oh, I said before, it's girls playing cricket. It's not just girls playing cricket. Women are wanting to play yeah. cricket, so women are wanting to have teams. They're wanting to play on the weekend, yeah. like the men are. So it's not just at the at the developmental level. It's across all age groups. Yeah, which is exciting. And, yeah, and and you know, I think. The, those, those clubs and associations who have started to come in or have been doing it for a long time, actually, a, a lot have, mm. um, are, are seeing a huge amount of benefit from that, that, that real family feel uh, yes. ar around a club, um, which um, is, is exciting. I think mm. that those kind of opportunities uh, are really great to have. And, um, you know, it's, it's different things. It's the big infrastructure things. It's thinking about the change rooms. But there's also small things you can do to make sure that everyone feels welcome actually yeah. um, within your club or within the environment that yeah. you're creating and, um, you know, who they see. Maybe it's who you're thinking about putting on committees and um, uh, boards and things. So so yeah. making sure that you're we, – we – uh, are all thinking a bit more broadly about yeah. who we can include and um, help us to think about different ways and, and things that might be important. Do you think your background in netball helps in this role? Because you've seen it the whole way through. 
is it is it helpful because you've seen pathways that have just uh, uh, almost a natural pathway the whole way through that you can now help implement into cricket or has it always been there and you're just putting the finishing touches on it? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's helpful. I, I think any experience you have coming into a, a different role is helpful and obviously I've come from um, a different background to cricket so it's been a bit of a steep learning curve over the last 12 months or so but a really enjoyable one and, um, you know, I think I was chatting to one of well, a couple of my old netball teammates around, you know, what what is it about netball that's obviously uh, done well in this space mm. and created great environments for women and girls? And, you know, part of it is um, that women are, are the decision makers. They're, they're helping to, to create the right environment. They're helping to make decisions on that. And so that's why I would... Um, you know, encourage everyone to, to think about that if you're wanting to get into this space. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's just making sure we acknowledge some of the differences. I don't think there's an enormous amount mm. of difference between um, the players as they're coming through. But, you know, girls do like to play with their mates. They, mm. that, that's really what drives them. So thinking about ways that you can help that to happen too, how we how we translate some of the really good numbers we're seeing in schools yeah. in, into club cricket and how we can connect through there. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing some really good numbers, really good numbers on the back of some a, a tough couple of years and, you know, um, even in the last couple of days, the rain keeps tumbling oh, it's down. Ridiculous. It's been a, t- a really tough yeah. start. And, you know, I think about um, right across Victoria, I'm from, as you know, Whitey, I'm, I'm from up um, north yes. in uh, up near Echuca and Rochester. And, and, you know, some of those areas have been been really hard hit. And, um, you know, so so to continue to, to kind of work in, in, in building this up and get the numbers that we're getting mm. now is really exciting, really, really exciting. And, in fact, one of the things that the volunteers were calling out that came into Junction Oval um, was that, you know, sometimes volunteering can be a tough slog. And so having a recognition like that kind of gave them a bit of buoyance and thought, you know what, we can keep mm. pushing on. It is amazing this thing with the weather. I mean, we think of the last two years with COVID and now we're late November and ground mm. availability is difficult, not just because of the amount of teams that need to play, but so many grounds are still waterlogged and you can't play on them. And yeah. that's not even turf cricket. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, one final one. Belinda Clark is our special guest uh, after our special guest in Cheryl McMahon. Um, you said you've been in it just over 12 months now. Is it what you thought it would be? Because it's such a it's a similar thing but a very different thing. It's still high performance. Yeah. It's still such a popular sport, netball and cricket, but but it is different. Oh, it's absolutely. It is very different. I mean, every sport is different mm. to each other, of course. Um, but um, certainly it's a unique sport. What what is it what I expected? Um, I probably couldn't have written down the things I've had to do yeah. when I started um, just over 12 months ago, so it's probably not quite what I expected. But, um, you know, there's um, that, that was the excitement in, in a way uh, and the challenge that, mm. that was um, in and around this role, um, having no one just right um, directly previously to me stepping into this role. Um, that, and, it's, and it's such a great and exciting time and I think, 
um, working through this strategy and seeing how engaged Nick Cummins as a CEO um, is and, and how every department is engaged in, in making this really work is, is exciting for me. So I've, I've really loved that. You know, I've met some amazing people. Belinda Clark is, is one. She continues to work with our young players. You, you talk about that leadership role. She continues to work in that space with individuals and with mm. groups. Um, you know, more broadly than just in cricket because, you know, that's yeah. what she does offer but certainly with our young players coming through and, you know, that that's one of the things that I really want to capture too is um, we had uh, the pioneers in the room last mm. last week, um, you know, the and as the name would suggest, pioneers of, of women's cricket both here in Victoria and probably more broadly across Australia and um, there is so much passion, so much knowledge, so much want to drive and do things do things really well from those players who have been the custodians of this mm. game for forever um, and have done so much great work and to, to those players a bit more recently like Belinda Clark who are who are carrying that through now uh, to see what's happening with WBBL and um, you know where this game can head I, I just think there's there's a lot of real excitement there um, and that's a similarity. With, yeah. with my experience previously in, in netball, I think both sports have got such a rich history and so many incredible people and um, in, including them is, is something that I want to continue to do probably better than I have now that I've got my feet under the desk and, and making sure that everyone feels like they're, they're really engaged in that because it's um, they are. Everyone's had a piece of the history of, of where cricket's been and, and where it will continue to go. Catherine Fitzpatrick, we, she was a guest a couple of weeks ago and she spoke about the pioneers and they're just so revered yeah. in women's cricket that it's a good starting point because they're so respected. Yeah, they are. They are. And yeah. they They, they may have it. missed out on what's happening now yes. but they still feel responsible for where they are now at. Yeah, absolutely it makes sense. And, and that's one of the um, interesting things about players in, in all sports that have transitioned from amateur to mm. pro the professional world is, you know, that feeling of, oh, I would, how I would have loved to have been <laughs> a player now. I, I feel it a little bit too. Um, but there's, there's absolute truth in the fact that they were the ones um, the previously who, who did it without pay, who did it under really tough conditions in, in some um, instances, were the ones that absolutely paved the way for what's happening now. And um, I love that. You can probably hear it in my voice. Yeah. I'm really, I am really passionate about that. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully the girls who are playing now, the players, the athletes who are, who are doing it at this level now really do appreciate that and the uh, development and, and where it's come. Absolutely. It's all part of Women and Girls in Cricket Week. Um, you've encapsulated it very well. Well done. Thank you for joining us. Belinda Clark will join us next on the Vic State Cricket Podcast. Well, we've just spoken to one Australian sporting icon in Sherelle McMahon. Now we're talking to another one, Belinda Clark. Uh, Belinda, thank you very much for coming. It's it's awesome to have you part of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's been a busy week for you. Um, and I think I, would, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but a fairly important and special week for you. It's great to be able to celebrate the contribution that women and girls have made in the past. Um where they are in the present and what the potential is in the future. So, yeah, it's an exciting week and fingers crossed it does its job, which is to inspire more people to get involved. Do you have to sometimes pinch yourself as to where women's cricket has got to, even from where it was 10 years ago? 
Sometimes I do, but I also um, understand the amount of hard work from so many different people to get it to this point. So in some respects, it's been um, amazing how far it's come. Yeah. Um, and in some other respects, it's been frustrating that it's taken us this long to get there. So I see um, great potential and opportunity for us to keep going down this path, but we're certainly heading in the right direction. Is there a, a moment or a, a decision that was made that has got us to the point where we're at where WBBL, there are 14 matches being played, home and away matches, free-to-air television, really good numbers on television. Um, the, the Australian girls are about to go over to India to play in a T20 series. It just feels like there's as much women's cricket as there is men's cricket and it feels natural. Was there a, was there a moment or a decision that was made that has helped us get to this point? There's probably been a few critical moments in my um, in my view. One is uh, the the understanding of the importance of television, and making sure that whatever game was put on, that it was consumable and attractive to the broadcasters. So initially, that was one day cricket, but I think what the women's game has done really well is jumped on the T20 juggernaut, and that has opened up a whole range of possibilities um, internationally. Uh, Com Games is an example mm. of that, um, increasing the number of countries that can play T20 cricket. So the ICC made some really clever decisions around that. And I think domestically, yeah, focusing in on the WBBL and, and getting that off the ground. In its first year, it was basically put them in different uniforms and let's go. We weren't ready for it, but there's some really clear pushing from um, executives at CA to make that happen. And in hindsight, um, you know, you can wait until it's perfect before you launch or you can just launch and they took the latter and I think it really has paid dividends. Yeah. So when you watch games now and you see the skills that are on display uh, and, it, and I think the batting and the fielding are the two things that really stand out, do you sit there and go, oh, my gosh, how good is this? Or are you, no, this is what they can do? Uh, it's probably a mixture of both. I, I love watching it so I do consume... Um, probably much more now than I did when I was working within cricket. I, I watch a lot of cricket, um, particularly the the WBBL, which I find, um, you know, really entertaining and, and great to watch. Um, and other times I'm I'm watching it and, and thinking, um, you know, gee, there's there's also, you know, the, the game will continue to evolve and I think the players are well positioned to just continue to get better and better. And, and men's cricket does the same. It, it keeps reinventing itself um, based on the constraints of the game and what the opposition are doing. So I just, uh, I love, you know, watching season to season and what the players have come up with to counteract the, mm. the competition. There's so much to ask you because you've done so many things, whether it be as a player, administration, I've got a grumbly Achilles that I might ask you about a little bit <laughs> later on as well as a physio. But I want to ask you straight up, why do you love cricket? I have been fascinated with the game from a very early age. I suspect it was an older brother that created the original spark. But uh, I love I, – I grew up playing tennis and I love the feeling of being able to hit a ball in the middle of a bat, um, whether it's the middle of a tennis racket, middle of a cricket bat. But there's something about the middle of a cricket bat, the sound, the feel, the result of that, that just um, is – I don't know, intrinsically motivating for me. So I could bat for hours, I could throw balls against the wall and hit them back to myself. Um, so I think that at its heart, that's that's the thing that I'm, I really love about the game. And then you start la layering on um, the tactics, the strategy, the teammates and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. I just think it's a wonderful game. So, But at its core, it's about, um, you know, being able to hit a cricket ball in the middle of a bat. 
So growing up in Newcastle, you talked about your brother. I know your dad was a good cricket, cricket, cricketer as well. Did you imagine playing cricket for Australia or was it for you it was more imagining, you know, lifting that Wimbledon trophy like Ash Barty did? Uh, it was the Wimbledon trophy for a long time and I didn't realise that uh, women could play cricket. So I just played in the backyard. I would take my, um, believe it or not, I went to the local store and bought a cricket bat with some pocket money. Um, took me about three hours to choose which one I wanted um, and I ended up with a grey nick scoop, single scoop, um, and that uh, that bat came with me to school. I'd put it on the top of my handlebars and ride to school and, and I'd play in the nets with the boys at lunchtime with no understanding that actually I would ever play in a real game. I just – and that's where I think the – the motivation is really quite, it's about bat and ball for me. Um, that's where it came from. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to high school that I realised there was a, a girls team at school and then there was an indoor cricket centre down the road and then all of a sudden um, things started to open up for me. So who were your heroes growing up? Yeah, I uh, well, started at Kim Hughes but the crying lost me. The crying <laughs> on TV and the interview lost, totally lost me. Um, and, I mean, I grew up with World Series cricket on the television, so it was, you know, it was Greg Chappell, it was, you know, Viv Richards. It was that that era that yeah. just captivated captivated me. And then as I got older it became, you know, the Steve Wars of this world. So generally generally they were batters um, and generally people that would attack. Um, and so that, that was basically how I tried to play. So could have you played tennis at a high level? Was it, was it one of those, because so many people, particularly in, in country areas around Australia, is kind of the, the choice of tennis or cricket, summer sports, generally speaking. Were you, were you that good at tennis or was cricket always dominant once you once you realised how much you loved it? Uh, no, tennis was probably the – tennis was the main pursuit. Um, I think if I just think about what you need to be a good athlete, I had the physical skills to be a good tennis player. I could, I could play all the shots. I could work my way around the court. Um, but I didn't have um, – the, the emotional and mental capabilities, I don't think, because maybe because I'd been playing it from a young age, mm. um, higher expectations, I don't think I coped um, with that as well. It's something that I learnt from, um, through cricket to, to manage the mental side of the game more effectively, but I was a bit older then to manage it. So physically, yes, mentally, no, mm. um, and cricket, it sort of came together for me. Yeah, interesting. So how quickly did it go from playing at high school to all of a sudden the Gordon Cricket Club uh, Sydney grade cricket, then all of a sudden you're going through the ranks. Did, did it all happen in a rush or was it a bit of a slow burn? No, it happened quickly. So I was playing um, playing in the school team. I was picked in the regional team. I made the combined high schools team, which is a New South Wales like schoolgirls team. Um, and then I was playing for New South Wales under 18 team. And that's the reason I started playing boys cricket was because I needed somewhere to actually play because I was yeah. only playing sort of once a week in term four or whatever it was um, at school. So I ended up playing a season with the boys and after that, so at 16 I was travelling to Sydney every weekend to play cricket, um, Premier Cricket. Right. Does that Was that important in your development, playing with the boys, at, considering that the pool of plays isn't what it is now? We think of, in more recent times, Meg Lanning playing first 11 cricket for, for Kerry in the APS and having to face James Pattinson and co at Halebury. But did that help fast-track things potentially? I think it did. I was also playing uh, indoor cricket, which was with um, senior women as well. And at that time, that was reasonably strong. So there was a whole sort of representative um, network around that. And I was playing for Australia at 16, playing indoor cricket. So I think the fact that I was playing with people that were older and better than me mm -hmm. from a young age is, was probably helpful. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the, the skills just come on once you start to do that. New South Wales cricket has always been really strong. You won five titles at New South Wales. Um, how quickly did you feel comfortable in that environment? Uh, pretty comfortable, um, pretty quickly. So um, I think that when you're young, sometimes you don't see the barriers or the problems that older people see. Yep. So in my mind at the time I was just I was just playing because I loved playing and I had yeah, no no sort of super ambitions. I just loved playing. So um, I felt comfortable. I was made to feel comfortable. I was in strong teams so I could play my natural game. I never felt for a very long time that my performance actually had any bearing on the outcome of the game, which allowed me freedom to mm. play the way that I played. Um, and then as I got um, older and more experienced, obviously there's that that changes. But yeah, I'm very lucky to be going in and playing in in strong teams as a as a youngster. So you talked before about how you didn't ever even think about a women's team growing up and maybe concentrating on tennis ball and cricket very young. But when did you start thinking I might be able to play cricket for Australia? Was it until you got into the New South Wales team, or maybe before then? Uh, it was definitely there was a moment in time when I was about uh, seventeen where I made a career decision which was actually based on getting myself to Sydney to play cricket. So I chose a uni course to do that was offered in Sydney and not Newcastle, which gave me a golden ticket to go and live in Sydney, which is where the cricket was. So that was physiotherapy and I made that decision as um, year 11, year 12. Um, I never thought I'd get the marks to get in, but I did, so off I went. And at that point, you know, it was my life was just all about how do I play as much cricket as I possibly can and that was the avenue I took. Um, as stupid as that sounds, I've got a nice hex step from the from the course <laughs> I did, but um, it's now paid off. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was the logic of, um, of studying physio. Tough to go away from the family or...? No, nah, I couldn't cricket. wait to get out. Yeah. I was I was uh, first. I think I was the first one to to go and live in Sydney. My sister had been over to play college tennis in America, um, so she she would had, right. she was there for a while, um, and I was the first child not to be a teacher. So my two parents are teachers. My older brother and sister are both teachers, and I was interested in a being out of Newcastle and b not being a teacher. <laughs> so that call to play for Australia, I, I think everyone remembers that that moment. Um, it happened quite quickly using one-day cricket and test cricket uh, around about the same time. What was that like and can you remember when you were told that you were going to represent the green and gold? Yeah, so in those days we played in a two-week championship. It wasn't the, the National League as we now um, now know it. And at the end of that National Championships, which was held in Orange of all places in this particular year, <laughs> and at the end of the Championships they would announce an Australian team and then that team would then sort of carry on and, and and play a series. So I was just sitting at the table having a great time with my mates at the end of the end of the championship dinner and all of a sudden my name was called to go and go up on stage and and um, I'd been selected in the Australian team. So I then packed another bag and from Orange we went to Melbourne and I think we played then in Hobart. So I was I was just on a wonderful mystery tour. I didn't know what was coming next and it was all very all very quick and, yeah, the kit was in the hotel room and away we went. Gee, so that might have even been a good thing that you didn't have time to think about it too much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, sometimes you can make these things bigger than they are and it um, causes all sorts of mental <laughs> thought processes. But, yeah, it was basically just um, keep going, keep playing and before I knew it I was sort of a couple of games, two tests down and three one days down and I was an Australian player. And you'd scored 100 on debut in a test match. 
Yeah. So, um, again, I don't know how that happened um, because I'm super impatient. So I've got no idea how I managed that at uh, 20, 21, I think I was. But, um, yeah, I did it and it's in the history books. Do you dream of it much now, going back and reflecting back? I often ask athletes about once you're living it, um, you've lived it. For someone like myself who could only dream of playing for Australia, at 45 I'm still having dreams about <laughs> playing for Australia one day. But do you look back on it and, and have those sort of those moments where you reflect? Um, I do. I mean, I, I'm, very, um, I'm very sort of proud of what we achieved as a team and where the sport is today and what part we played in sort of getting us to where we are today. Um, I don't hanker to go back there, um, but I look back on it with very fond memories. Um, you know, some days were challenging, some days were, um, were amazing, but that's, that's what sport is. It's about teaching you the highs and the lows and mm-hmm. coping with it and getting along with people and working together and all that sort of stuff. So I look back very fondly, um, but I played right up until I didn't think I could do it anymore, probably more, um, yeah, I, I just had enough um, and it was time to sort of move on and I don't have any regrets about that. I played right up until I think I'd, I'd done my best and exit stage left and go and do something else. I asked you why you loved cricket. I want to also know why do you think you were good at it? It's uh, a good question. I um, Well, I think uh, I think physically I can do bat ball things. Um, so I played hockey, tennis, cricket, so anything with a bat and a ball I could I could do. Um, just give me a, a ball and me, not so good. Just give me me, like gymnastics or swimming, really not good. So as it, as it got to the two, the bat, the ball, that was when I felt comfortable. I could mimic things. I could do things quite easily. So I think that helps because when you're good at something, it reinforces the practice um, to, to do it. Um, so that's that's the sort of the physical side. And I think um, mentally I, I just enjoyed the contest. I just did. I really enjoyed pitting myself against the opposition. I enjoyed the tactics of the game. Um, and and again, once you you do it and you get positive reinforcement, you, mm. you seem to go back for more. So yeah. it's a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. So there's the sort of with you. There's the cricket, and then there's the leadership, captain Australia for over a decade, and more than anybody else. How much did you enjoy that, and how much did it also help your own cricket that it wasn't necessarily the focus just on you, that it was about everyone else in the team to get that team success. Yeah, I really enjoyed the leadership piece and it came at me, um, you know, by surprise um, and quickly. Again, not dissimilar to the playing career piece. Uh, What I enjoyed most about it was um, planning for campaigns. So working with the coaches, the administrators at the time, you know, what do we need to do? How are we going to get ourselves there? And then, you know, then working with the playing group to say, how how do we think we can approach this? So... That concept of um, here's a challenge, what are we going to do, how are we going to go about it, that was really exciting and I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I just I just love being on tour, um, playing games of cricket, training, um, spending time with, you know, with your friends out doing other stuff. It was We got to see great parts of the world, um, see things that some people will never get to see uh, and we got the red carpet laid out in, in most places because mm. we were playing we were playing sort of international sport, so it was just good fun. Have you got one moment that stands out? A lot of people like to talk about the the two hundred in the in the World Cup, but I mean, obviously, Test hundreds, it's, it's team success with the World Cups. Is there anything that stands out for you? Uh, there's probably there's two things that stand out uh, 
well, three things that stand out really clearly to me. I can remember them like though yesterday. One is winning the World Cup in 1997 um, in India, which was just a great a great tour. And to, for that to finish with us playing in front of a big crowd and holding up a trophy and that, that sort of was, that was amazing. Um, the following year we won um, a one-day series in England 5-0 and the last match was played at Lords. Uh, Lisa Kitely scored 100, first woman to do that at Lords, and Catherine Fitzpatrick took a fiver, first woman to do that. So to be in that moment where two teammates have just knocked the lights out, um, you know, that that's a really fond fond memory. And the third one, which is not a fond memory but something that I'll never forget, is I played a, uh, an international, well, it was actually a, maybe a state game in Newcastle and you know, Belinda's coming home, number one sports ground. This is where I'd watched all these sort of my brother play cricket and all the international touring teams. And there's big fanfare and I go out and I've got a golden duck and I walked off feeling like, you know, really, really small. But it just reminded me how this game can, you know, bite you in the bum. And I, I went back later and, and scored runs there, but um, I'll never forget the feeling of like walking out to all this applause and then walking off to like just a gentle clap to go and I just felt, you know, really small. But um, that's what sport does to you. It yeah. pulls you back when you might be getting ahead of yourself. Almost a Don Bradman moment. Well, not quite. I mean, I, I would not put myself in his category. But, um, yeah, it, it does make you feel small when you when you stuff up. Yeah. So do you think, even just talking to you now, it seems that team success is almost more important to you than individual success. It's you're less comfortable to talk about all the great things you did individually, it was more the things that you did as a team. And I guess that helps being captain because you're proud of what you've been part of as, as leading that group. Is that is that fair? Yeah, reasonably. I mean, I was, I'm pleased with the fact that I contributed to team success, but I was always very clear that uh, if my contribution didn't support the team success or, in fact, worked against it, so, you know, batting slowly or, you know, you know not, you know, dropping a catch, that sort of stuff, that, that individual piece... Um, is only important in the context of a team for a game of cricket. So um, it, that's what drove me to train really hard. I mean, I was wanting individual success, but I wanted to do it in the context of then the team having some success as well. Otherwise, it was pretty hollow. Do you think um, for people that are listening that are starting off their career careers, does that can that help from a mental point of view that it maybe take the pressure and the intensity off your own performance and sort of broaden out the whole perspective of playing cricket? Yeah, and I think I was lucky to play in the era that I did because we got some benefits of being on the cusp of, I suppose, um, you know, much more cricket being played than what had been previously. But it also, um, you're still doing it for fun. You still had a life away from cricket. So everything was generally in perspective. Mm. Um, we were trying to win games of cricket. We we're trying to do our best, but it wasn't everything. And I think that's a really um, important distinction to be able to to make so that you do get the best out of yourself when you're in the heat of the battle. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a saying, you know, train train like you play and play like you train. And that's really what I was always trying to do is just to take my pressure off myself at game day um, because if the pressure's on and you're feeling it and you're not coping with it, um, it's not a nice place to be. But if you've done the training, you can convince yourself that you've prepared well then you're much more likely to express yourself positively on the field. Yeah, that's interesting. So we're being a bit cheeky here because you are really New South Welsh, sort of, sort of <laughs> maybe Victorian. You live in Victoria now, so we're yeah. kind of claiming you as, the, as part of this fixed State Cricket podcast. Why did you go from New South Wales and play cricket in Victoria? 
How did that come about? Yeah, so I got a job uh, with Women's Cricket Australia, being their executive officer um, in uh, 2000. Um, and uh, I was previously working at Cricket New South Wales in the game development department. And I knew that Women's Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricket Board were on the cusp of um, integration and that the next sort of two or three years of that process was going to be critical. So I thought that that would be a great idea to jump in and try and sort of play a hand in that. And it was the best thing I did for my cricket because it forced me, having played with the same people for New South Wales for a long time, uh, it forced me to have to build new relationships with a different group of players. And I, I got a chance to reinvent how I might go about doing that. Um, so captaining Victoria for I think it was four years um, was, you know, really fond memories of, of that time and we won two titles. Um, I think we might have been the last ones that won a National League title in a navy blue shirt, um, which um, I think there's some work to do there but I'm pretty sure that they've got the players that could shake that can if they um, put their minds to it. So do you, when you change states from New South Wales to Victoria, that's... That's not too many do that. At least Perry has has done it, but it doesn't happen too often. Do do you have to change the way you see cricket to fit into Victorian cricket as opposed to New South Wales cricket, or did you come down as one of the greats of all time and say, "This is the way I do it. This is the way I want you to do it." Uh, it's probably a combination of both of those things. Um, initially, initially, it's like I'm understanding how you go about it <clears throat> what what is important to you what's what's the what's the vibe here um and then bit by bit it's like okay that what are the things that we need to alter and it wasn't necessarily copying what new south wales did it was how do you understand who's in your team and get the most out of them their strengths to get this team performing as well as it can so there's never a simple formula um because the people that you're playing with are always different so I wouldn't. I would say it was a combined team effort to re, you know, redirect the ship and and away we went. Some good coaches. Um, Ken Davis comes to mind. He was a um, a very good coach for Victoria, and he was with us during that success. What um, from not so much a legacy point of view, but if I said to you, you know, what does Victorian cricket mean to you, or what did what what stood out as a that sort of that fabric of Victorian cricket? Is there any characteristic that comes to mind? The first thing that comes to mind is the competitiveness of the Premier Cricket. When I came down, there was some deep-seated rivals, rivalries sitting in there that I hadn't really experienced in Sydney, which um, shocked me a little bit. Um, so it was almost like state training. You had to heal some of these relationships that were like, people going at each other on the weekend in their, in their club teams. Um, so that was one thing that stood out. Um, I, I, think, I think they had, uh, when I arrived, they had a, you know, a very talented group of cricketers and I think um, I think the way we went about it um, was really just strip strip it all back, let's, let's just go for it, let's not worry about how many titles we've got or how many we haven't got, let's, let's sort of like, you know, really, it was, it, I suppose it was like um, let's just do the basics really well and we had enough good players that doing the basics well was going to get us really close but I had great pride in um, in the victories that we had, particularly over New South Wales. Um, there's always a little bit of chirp, <laughs> chirp out there going from being their captain to the captain of an opposition team. Um, and I captained New South Wales for one year whilst I was living in Melbourne too, which was really – that was probably a mistake in hindsight. Um, I don't think I should have done that. I think I should have moved 
straight away, but I just it was in September and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I played one year um, and trained here with the Vicks, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> so do you you did, did so much on the cricket field, but then from cricket into administration. Um, in a variety of different roles, from high performance to community. I'm really interested in your views on, on community cricket. Um, what are you more proud of? Or is that too hard a question? Uh, I'm proud of, um, hmm, interesting, there's, there's probably a number of things that sort of are highlights. Um, one is the progress of the women's game and the T20 um, final at the MCG. Um, uh, that That's probably number one because that is truly remarkable. I sometimes pinch myself. I'm not quite, quite sure how we did that, but um, that was awesome. Uh, the second one would be changing the way that kids experience the game. So the junior formats work, um, convincing over 400 associations um, across Australia um, with a really dedicated army of field force officers. And um, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't all, um, wasn't all me, but it was um, that team of people did an amazing job to get that through and I think the game's better off for it. Uh, and the third one was, um, you know, building the High Performance Centre in Brisbane, um, project managing that, which I'd never done before and I, don't again, don't know why they thought that was a good idea, but um, I'm very proud of uh, the people and the programs and the space that is in Brisbane that um, is home to our high performance programs. I mean, you've named three incredibly powerful things that you've been kind of responsible for. Um, that's a pretty powerful legacy. How proud of you are you of that, to look back and you can reel those things off and even I can identify in those three different um, facets of the game about how significant these these things are that you were, you were so pivotal in. Uh, I feel super lucky. Um, so why do I say that? Because always to, to deliver things that are of significance takes a lot of people. And that's probably, if I come back to the core, I just love, love working with teams of people to do really good stuff. And those people, um, you know, I could sort of rattle them off, but different, different areas, different people. Um, and leadership of the, the leadership decisions that allowed me the opportunity to be involved. Um, so I've got a lot of time for James Sutherland and, and what he did for me, gave me jobs that were well beyond my capability at the time, but backed me to, to grow into them. Um, Pat Howard was was critical in that as well. Um, Michael Brown, um, Kate Banizik, Christina Matthews. Like there's just a, a room full of people that have given me opportunities and I hope I've repaid their faith, but um, mm. I always knew that those decisions could have gone another way and I was just, you know, super lucky that that I was given those chances. How, how much did your cricket captaincy help with leadership in business, the whole thing? Because so, so often there's that tie in between bringing people with different skills in a cricket team, different backgrounds to have that team performance to then implement that in business. Yeah, um, on field and cricket stuff is simple relative to business in my view, um, maybe because I grew up doing it. Um, but there's some distinct differences that I think make it easier for athletes and team leadership. And those things are things like it's quite easy to see what you're all trying to do um, and you get on the bus or you get off the bus or someone pushes you off the bus. Mm. Um, whereas in in business it takes uh, a lot more skill and a lot more nuance around leading and being clear on what are we trying to achieve and what role am I playing, et cetera. So I think that the leadership on field gave me a start 
I was at the starting line and then I learnt so much um, from having to work with different people on different projects and that's probably been um, the key shift in um, being able to lead sort of beyond the, the field. The community piece that you touched on before, um, whether that be junior cricket, you know, and then there's the, there's the blast, there's the going to under 10s, under 12s, under 14s, the changes from even when I played about, you know, you retire at 30 in under 12s, you retire at 50 uh, in under 14s, you battle day, you battle day. It's all changed now. It's more around participation. How important do you think that has been to the the continual progress and development of cricket? I think it's been critical because cricket's a game that if you let it run its course without any constraints, you will get the domination of one or two kids. And that's great for those one or two kids. But if you're wanting people to play with when you're 15, 16, 17, you need to keep other people involved in the game. Um, And so I think that's critical. But the other thing that the changes did was enhance skill development. And it's often overlooked, but the the key driver um, was actually if you do this and you enjoy it and you can do it, as in you're getting better at it, then you're much more likely to enjoy it and then retain yourself in the game. So the fundamental shift was actually around developing much better skills um, for the physical capabilities of the age groups. And um, that's at the core of it. And then the retention and the participation and the enjoyment flowed from that. So I would hope that kids are enjoying playing. Um, the game's a lot quicker. It's faster. The scorers can't keep up. I just love that, that, you know, the scorers are saying, slow down, you know, that you just wouldn't have thought that in a, in a game that's um, the perception is that it's slow it yeah. takes a long time, well, we've managed to flip that on its head. I'm being selfish here asking questions because I've got young kids that play cricket and I'm uh, an under-10 coach of the all-conquering uh, Warrandyte uh, under-10s out in the Ringwood District Cr- Cricket Association. But when does it go from enjoyment to maybe taking it a little bit more seriously, do you think? that Because there's that switch at some point and then, you know, it's it's enjoyment, then it's there's the technical side of things. It's it's a it's a difficult balance as to when it when it kind of switches. Uh, it switches in kids' minds when they're ready for it to switch. Like light bulb moments. Yeah. yeah, and if you just talk to kids around, um, you know, what it is they're trying to do and what are they learning, they'll be watching something on YouTube. And I've I've seen kids sort of like come back the next day and bowling off spin like Nathan Lyon because they've been watching YouTube clips of Nathan mm. Lyon. So I don't think adults. I don't think adults need to interfere in that process at all. Um, Kids work out at which point in time they're ready to flip the switch and then they go crazy with lots of practice and they can't get enough of it. And that's the moment that you know you've hooked them into the sport. But that is a self-determining child activity and um, they don't need parents or coaches to tell them um, when that should be or when that is. Yeah, because it is interesting, as I said, having experienced it myself over the last few years of those light bulb moments where they just get it and it's they're working that out for themselves Yeah. because it gets to a point where they go, well, you know, if I want to be good at this, I've got to kind of work it out for myself. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating watching watching them do it. And statistics. I mean, kids can retain information. I mean... There'd be kids walking around that would know 50, 60 times more about the game than what I would Mm. um, and about statistics and about how this works and who's in that team. I mean, they just consume it like it's, um, you know, so important for them. Um, It's amazing. It's great. I know, and there's so much more for them to, as you say, whether it's YouTube or Fox Cricket or watching it on Channel 7, men or women, there's so much more to watch um, that their heroes could 
I know I've got one of my sons has got heroes in the Caribbean Premier League that I don't even know their names, but they watch it all and they then try and replicate that out on the field themselves. It's yeah, it's fascinating to see them all develop. Yeah, and kids are great mimickers, and um, you know they can watch things and replicate it pretty easily, and it's quite remarkable. But um, that's how that's how humans learn, and sometimes I think we interfere. A bit mm. with that process with instruction, you know, instructions. Actually, just need to show them um, on a video and let them at it. They'll work it out. Yeah, and the reason I'm asking you these questions is because you're, you're you're so big in that in that space around community and and kids learning cricket. Because a lot of the parents don't, they want to be involved. They want to look after their kids. They want to look after their kids' friends, but they don't necessarily know how to do it either. And and it has been instructional some of the changes through Cricket Australia, not just for the kids but for the parents, to give them that opportunity, a, a platform to express themselves on the cricket field. Yeah, and um, keep it simple, um, encourage them to make games up. If you, if you let kids go in the backyard with a bat and a ball, they'll, they'll make it up um, and they'll share the opportunities around so they'll know when it's the right time to hand the bat to someone else. They'll, they'll self-organise um, yep. generally pretty well Um and so I just think the more of that type of philosophy you can bring into organised sport, the better, particularly at younger ages. Obviously there comes a time where, um, you know, structure becomes more and more important, but um, the initial structure is actually about um, freedom to express and then it starts to become a bit more sort of competitive beyond that. So you think I'm going a bit far by banning reverse sweeps and lap shots in my team? Absolutely. Let them go. <laughs> Um, I, just on that, again, in that sort of community space, but not so much junior cricket, COVID and the and the impact that that potentially could have had on cricket. But in a lot of ways, we were a bit lucky being a summer sport that it didn't have a, as big an impact as, as what we thought. Have you seen any effects from COVID at all? Uh, look, I think um, people that enjoyed the company of other people through sport came back to sport and that was really important to them. So in some cases, COVID actually strengthened people's attachment to sport because of the social aspects of yeah. it. And the people that realised that there's actually a life outside of Saturday cricket, they probably left. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably a personal realisation. What am I doing spending my time standing out here? Yeah. Um, so I think there's ups and downs on that. But I think you've got to back your sport that if it's good enough, people will come back to it. And I was always confident that once this had all passed that the people that really wanted to play cricket would come back and you then need to start again, make sure you don't miss the generation of the kids coming through, which is I think always the big concern mm. more so than the adults. And I guess now we're getting to a point in community cricket where there's not enough grounds because at times it feels like there's as many girls that want, are wanting to play as boys and then there's the facility challenge around, we are talking to Sherelle about this earlier on, about change rooms and and ground availability and all this sort of thing, it's a good problem to have but it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah, we need to get more creative around how we how we use green space, I think. So um, I think councils are doing a good job where you've got opportunity on the fringes of the city to make sure there's enough um, sporting facilities. But when you talk about, you know, the inner city and then beyond, um, what you've got is what you've got. So the thought of, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, you know, we're just going to need to keep using these blades of grass um, at every opportunity um, rather than think that everyone's got to play on the weekend. The last thing I wanted to ask you is just about being the first um, into the Hall of Fame from Cricket Australia as the first female um, and then the second from an ICC point of view. 
does that does that make you a pioneer, or did that actually happen before you? Because we had a chat to Catherine Fitzpatrick about yeah. this, and she's very passionate about who the pioneers are, and that yeah. it's probably further back than you that helps set up the success of where we are at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a similar view. Um, uh, we just played in an era where the public's attention and people started to take a bit of notice, um, but there's a you know a, a litany of people before us that um, set this up and kept the game going through pretty tough times. Um, I feel like we've been the beneficiaries of their work and I hope the players of today look well beyond um, my generation and way back in to say like, you know, can you imagine what it would have been like in the 1940s or 50s trying to keep a women's club team alive um, or start a national competition um, or fund a national team to go and play in India? Like, can you imagine how difficult that would be? My goodness. Um, so just remarkable women who, yeah, did a did a lot what they were passionate about, but that's really where the credit lies, I think, in terms of laying the platform for today's game. So when you were sitting at the MCG for that famous night with so many people there, what was was there an overwhelming thought of of what was going through your mind, seeing all those people there and seeing Australia lift that trophy? Um, I was more con- I was more interested in watching um, the people that were sitting alongside me who were, you know, Margaret Jennings, who captained the side in, you know, 75, 76, around that time, um, people that I played with um, when I first made the Australian team, sitting there um, with tears in their eyes and their mouths on the ground saying, what the hell, you know, how did this happen? Um, so I was much more interested in watching the reactions and felt, you know, a great sense of pride that that those people were at the game live watching this team do its stuff in front of 86,174 people. You got the number right. Well yeah. done. And the, the last, the very last thing is, and I don't mean to embarrass you here, but I think that when my boys and, and my daughter, they turn on the television now and they watch the WBBL, they're watching cricket. They're not watching girls cricket, women's cricket, they're watching cricket. And I think you're one of the key reasons why we do think like that here in this country with what you've been able to do over your career. Probably not so much as a player but more as an administrator and I think that um, we're very lucky to have you here sharing your story with us today. Thank you. It's been good fun. Fantastic. Belinda Clark, an absolute icon of not Australian cricket, of Australian sport.